Empire. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That's C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And you can find my regular column on the business of the NFL at CBSSports.com called In Agent Stake. Uh, this week's episode is going to deal with the uh, NFL and NFLPA resolving outstanding issues that were threatening the start of training camp. And also, George Kittle's contract situation will be discussed. Um, Today, we found out that training camps are going to start on time. Um, NFLPA and NFL were able to reach an agreement on the outstanding issues of, one, the acclimation period, two, opting out, and how the 2021 cap is going to be uh, handled. Well, how the acclimation period is going to work is that Players are going to get tested for COVID-19, um, then return home, have virtual meetings for two days, take a second um, test, uh, COVID test. You test negative both times, you can enter the facility, and then you can start eight days of strength conditioning work. Um, then that acclimation period will, will last for, for eight days. Um, then August 17th will be the first time um, players will be in full pads. 14 paddock practices will be allowed. Roster size, um, there's going to be a cut down to 80 players. You have a couple of ways you want to, you can you can actually do that. Um, uh, you can start with 80 players right now <laughs> um, if you want to, or, or you have to have 80 players cut down um, by, the, uh, by August 16th. Uh, you could have up to 90 for now, um, but you have to basically have things run as a split squad um, in order to have 90. Um, practice squads also are going to be uh, increased to 16 players this year uh, from 12. And six of those players can have, doesn't matter how many um, numbers of accrued seasons you can have um, for six of those practice squad spots. Uh, this is not an ideal year for somebody to be an undrafted free agent or a journeyman player who is a fringe player who's on rosters, cut, bounces between practice squads, um, particularly for the incoming guys, um, you're getting you're getting really hit twice. One, a lot of pro days were canceled um, back in March uh, because of uh, COVID-19. So you didn't have an opportunity to impress scouts, potentially go from undrafted to drafted. And now, since this was an unusual offseason, basically a virtual offseason, you didn't have the OTAs, didn't have mini camps in the traditional form. So you're going to have fewer opportunities that now you could have been drafted, now you're undrafted. It's going to be much harder to make a roster um, if you're one of those guys. Um, I saw an interview of Adam Thielen um, on NFL Live earlier this week, and he said in this year he would not have existed. And Adam Thielen's become a Pro Bowl wide receiver. And uh, the way – Thielen's story, NFL story, has gone, um, is that he was undrafted, didn't sign a NFL player contract right after the draft like most undrafted guys. Um, Thielen got a rookie minicamp tryout invite and impressed in the Vikings' um, rookie minicamp. That led to him signing 
a real NFL contract. Impressed throughout OTAs and kept impressing um, training camp and preseason games. So with no preseason games, which has already been agreed to, the limited opportunities you had during the offseason, you're kind of behind the eight ball if you're an undrafted guy. And also um, for rookies, uh, particularly late-round picks. Uh, so it, it's unusual uh, this year from that standpoint. Um, the opt-out um, has uh, also been uh, finally agreed upon. Um, other sports have opt-outs where if you have a legitimate medical reason or high risk, uh, I'm talking basketball and um, um, baseball, MLB, that you could opt out. Um, here in the NFL, high-risk players will get uh, $350,000 if they opt out under that that track. It's just two-tiered, and you get an accrued season. You have to make a choice by August 3rd for all opt-outs. And players who opt out without a risk get $150,000 um, for opting out. If uh, you make a team, if you make, if you make the 53-man roster, the final cut down, and the season's games are canceled, no games are played, then uh, you get uh, stipend $300,000. Um, if the season's canceled before the cut down, players who are on a team in, in 2019 get $250,000. Now. Um, another issue that needed to be worked out was what happens with uh, players with guaranteed contracts. Um, it's going to be a uh, pay-as-you-go system this year. The, the players who have guaranteed contracts, they will get their money. If, they, if the season gets cut short and you only play eight games and you'll have your base salary is fully guaranteed, you're going to get paid for the games you play. You'll get the other part of the guaranteed money, not this year, either in 2021 or 2022. Now, if you have non-guaranteed contract, uh, unsecured money, and you play eight games, you get eight, pay, eight games worth of pay. If you uh, season gets cut short, there are only eight games, you're not getting paid for the other eight games. So um, that's how that part has been addressed. Now, the big elephant in the room was what was going to happen with the 2021 cap. Um, estimates have put that uh, because of COVID-19 and the stands being empty or nearly empty, uh, some teams have said there'll be no more than 10,000, 20,000 max at a game. Some have said 25% capacity will be max. So we know that there's going to be a huge drop in revenues. The question was going to be how those are going to be handled. Um, the NFL and NFLPA came to an agreement uh, where there's going to be a salary cap floor of $175 million. The cap this year is 198.2. That's going to stay where it is. Uh, so no drop in the 2020 cap, which is going to be impractical anyway. To put it in perspective, a $175 million cap floor is on par with uh, what the cap was two years ago. Two years ago, the cap was $177.2 million. That was the um, 2018 cap. Uh, so... <laughs> Still, if you're going to have a, a minimum cap at $175 million, it has potential to be more. That's still going to be a major cause of concern. Now, the uh, it, any uh, additional losses will be spread out over the next couple of years after that, 2022 through, through 2024. The TV contracts are up for renewal in 2022, and they're, they're expected to take a huge jump from their current form. And I've never seen in any sport where TV money hasn't taken a huge jump. So once the new TV money gets infused, that's when you'll start seeing the cap grow. Um, 
tremendously. Teams playing in three-year snapshots, so teams were expecting a cap to be about $210 million, possibly. That would be an increase um, in line with the increase in recent years, anywhere between 5 and 8%. So you're talking planning at $210 million versus planning at now $175 million. So you, right there, that's $35 million difference in what you thought the salary cap would be if we didn't have COVID-19 versus what the reality is going to be. Now that there is some cap certainty for next year, um, maybe we'll see more um, players who are in a contract year, uh, core players, star players, start to get extensions because the rate of those guys getting signed has been much slower than it has been um, in other years. One thing you are going to see to keep an eye out on this year for rosters is there's going to be uh, players who are maybe, I'd say, the middle class. They could be vulnerable uh, veterans, the guys who marginal starters, high-priced backups. They may be asked to take pay cuts or be released uh, this year in a situation where if uh, COVID-19 didn't exist, that they wouldn't um, have to take a pay cut. Now, one thing about the salary cap that, is going to kind of help some teams because um, you have the ability to carry over unused cap room from one year to the next. So that's going to be a big help in having teams have a higher actual cap, adjusted cap, I should say, than the league-wide cap. Let's say it is actually $175 million. Last year, the average amount that was carried over per team was almost $12 million. You had about – you had – a little over $380 million um, carried over from the 2019 league year to this year, the 2020 league year. So that means your adjusted cap, average adjusted cap around the league is probably going to be about 185, 187 if last year is any indication of how it's going to work. It's uh, What it's also going to do is anyone who signed a one-year prove-it deal, it may not be a great time to be a free agent in 2021. I think the star players, superstar players, they're going to get paid regardless. But next year is not an ideal to be a, ideal year to be a free agent unless you are one of those types of players. The guys with one year prove it deals, not a good not a good year to be a free agent um, as well. It's really going to impact Dallas. From a standpoint of Dak Prescott in his second franchise tag, his second franchise tag is going to be basically 37.7 million, a 20% increase over his 31.409 million salary uh, this year. If they decide to stick another franchise tag on him next year, just looking at the 175 million dollar cap, if that's the floor, if that's what it actually is next year. His cap number this year is taking up 15.9% of uh, the $198.2 million cap, of the, the league-wide cap number. At $175 million, he goes up to 37.7. That's 21.5%. So Dak Prescott, if he plays well, has a ton of leverage. Uh, if he just does what he did last year, as long as he doesn't fall on his face or have some sort of late-season serious injury, which... Uh, jeopardizes him being able to play at the beginning of the 2021 season, he's going to be sitting in the driver's seat. Now, the teams that are going to be um, most affected 
by the cap are going to be the Saints, Eagles, Falcons. The Eagles, according to the NFLPA data, and I don't think it's been updated to where it's reflected all the um, draft pick signings the past couple of days. But for 2021 and in 20, and during the offseason, and this applies in any offseason, um, only the top 51 players count against the cap. So from the beginning of the offseason, um, start of the new league year, until the first day of the regular season, which will be September 10 this year, um, only the top 51 players count. And then everybody counts after that point. Uh, practice squad players, players on IR, all 53 on your active roster, people on other reserve lists count. And that creates about a 2 to $5 million um, change in what's counting against the cap. Next year, the Eagles have a little over $263 million in cap commitments for their top 51 players. As of now, or at least what's reflected in NFLPA data, they could carry over um, roughly $24 million of cap space. But just do the math right there. You're talking $175 million cap potentially, $263 million in cap commitments. Something's got to give. Saints basically at $256.5 million. Um, for their top 51, um, almost nine and a half of carryover, big problems. Falcons, the only other team with over $200 million of 2021 cap commitments, a little over $214 million in cap commitments. Um, they only have 48, 47 players under contract. Um, so that's still a little, so it's going to be more than the top 51 count. Um, about $10.75 million of cap space. So if they roll that over, still, you got a huge shortfall. The league average cap commitments for 2021 right now are about $166 million. So some teams are in much better shape than others. The one team that is in great shape, <laughs> their Indianapolis Colts, if they want to go on a spending spree next year, they're going to be in a position to do that. If they want to take care of their own players next year, not going to be a problem. 44 players under contract, according to NFLPA data, a hundred million in cap commitments, just a little over a hundred million in cap commitments. Now, right now, um, 22 million of cap space. So, 175 million dollar cap. Potentially, they're going to be having 90 million dollars of cap space next year. The Colts. So, the Colts are going to be in the best position of anybody in the NFL. Um, hopefully, the revenues will go up so we're not at the $175 million floor and it's going to be higher. The higher it is, the better it's going to be for um, players um, next year in free agency. Um, But I do anticipate that some of the uh, core players, star players, are going to start getting some extensions done um, now that we have more economic certainty in terms of where the cap is going to be um, for the 2021 season. Speaking of extensions, let's turn our attention to San Francisco 49ers tight end George Kittle. Kittle is arguably the best tight end in the NFL, and the 49ers have um, a history of being proactive in signing core players um, to contract extensions. Um, He's the primary rep in in San Francisco's passing game, um, led the 49ers in both 2018 and 19 in receptions and receiving yards, and also tied for the team lead in touchdown um, catches during that time. In 2018, 
He set the single-season record um, for receiving yards for a tight end with 1,377. Um, he's one of the top receiving threats in the NFL. He ranks 11th in receptions in the NFL with 173 and has 204,030 receiving yards over the past two years. That's fifth most in the league. There are nine players over the past two years that have at least 170 receptions and 2,000 receiving yards. Um, Kittle's one of them. He's in pretty select company. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins has done it. Julio Jones has done it. And Michael Thomas uh, has done it. So if I represent Kittle, I'm going to make the argument, or I have been making the argument, that he should be paid like one of the NFL's top offensive weapons because that's how he produces. And the top offensive weapons in the NFL are typically, uh, highest paid ones are typically wide receivers. The wide receiver market and the tight end market are two totally different things. Now, the average of the top five um, highest, uh, highest paid offensive weapons, which all coincidentally have to be wide receivers, happen to be wide receivers, um, their deals average about $19.5 million per year. The tight end market has been very stagnant. Um, Austin Hooper is currently the highest paid tight end on a multi-year contract. He got it in free agency this year. He left the Falcons for the Browns, signed a four-year deal for $10.5 million per year with $23 million in overall guarantees. Far cry between what top receivers make and top tight ends make. He's the first tight end to sign a deal averaging more than $10 million per year. One guy has signed two deals at $10 million. That was Jimmy Graham. Um, he did it in 2014 uh, when he played uh, for the uh, Saints and was franchised. He signed a deal averaging $10 million per year. And then in 2018, he did it again when he left uh, Seattle uh, for Green Bay um, and signed for $10 million per year. So in six years, the market has gone up $500,000 per year. Therein lies the problem. Trying to say you transcended a position or want to be paid as an offensive weapon, that's a hard argument to win with a team. Christian McCaffrey uh, became the highest paid running back this year for an extent, four-year extension, averaging $16 million per year. He couldn't successfully make that argument. Um, the highest paid running back had been Ezekiel Elliott at $15 million per year, so he worked off of that deal. Um, and this is a guy that, uh, became the third player in NFL history in a single season to have 1,000 receiving yards and 1,000 rushing yards. And if you add in the fact that he had 100 catches, he's the first person to ever accomplish all three of those things in a season. He couldn't make that argument. Um, Le'Veon Bell used to try to make that argument um, with the Steelers that he should be paid like a second receiver because of his pass-catching abilities and also as a running back. That fell on uh, deaf ears as well. Along those lines, I might try to make the argument, um, if I'm representing Kittle, uh, that I should be paid like uh, a combo with the highest paid uh, blocking tight end and also the highest paid pass catching tight end because uh, Kittle's arguably the uh, best blocking tight end in the NFL. Nick Boyle makes $6 million per year as the highest paid blocking tight end. No one's going to confuse Austin Hooper for Nick Boyle. He makes $10.5 million per year. So if you add those two together, uh, that's $16.5 million per year. Are the 49ers going to buy something like that? I doubt it. But if I'm um, the agent, those are the types of arguments I'm making. 
where Kittle really kind of gets caught now is with the cap being $175 million if San Francisco wanted to go this route. Um, unless there's some sort of provision where, for franchise tag purposes, you're using the $198.2 million this year's cap to factor in how franchise numbers are calculated because they're over a five-year period and their percentage of the cap and that percentage of the cap that you get when you look back over five years, gets multiplied by the current year's salary cap to figure out the tag numbers. So if the cap is $175 million, it's going to drop from this year. This year, the uh, tag number for tight ends was $10.607 million. I've kind of looked at the numbers. Kittle's tag number, if it the formula isn't modified at all, it's going to be about 9.2 um, for 2021 if he played out his rookie contract. So the 49ers could look at it from the standpoint, we could go tag in 2021, tag in 2022, then that's a 20% increase, then another 20% increase in 2023 if you stuck a transition tag on him, and he'd make about $33.5 million over those three years. So looking at it from that standpoint, if the Niners did that, they don't have to pay him much more than $11 million per year. <laughs> Um, over the next three years after the 2020 season. If they do that, they'll never get a deal done. And you're going to create a lot of, a lot of acrimony uh, with um, George Kittle. Now, what I really think could be a fair way to look at it is you look at, under the salary cap era, who are the highest paid tight ends if you adjust their deals for cap inflation. And by that, what I mean is you take the year they were, the, they were signed and you increase the actual deal by how much the cap has gone up since then. And the two highest paid tight ends are Jimmy Graham and his 2014 deal um, for $10 million per year with the Saints. The cap's gone up 49% since then. So that puts that deal at about $14.9 million per year. And second place is Rob Gronkowski. He signed a six-year extension with the Patriots in 2012. Uh, cap's gone up almost 65%. Since then, so that puts his deal at just under 14.8 million. So that may be a fair way for both sides to look at it. Um, but one thing the 49ers have to do is give George Kittle something to think about. If you're offering George Kittle a contract based off of now what the franchise tag numbers would be, he doesn't have anything to really think about. Um, George Kittle should dramatically reset the tight end market should be well above Austin Hooper since the market's barely moved. Um, if you give him something to think about, then you may get him to bite because George Kittle in his three NFL seasons since he was a fifth-round pick hasn't made a lot of money by NFL standards. He's made $2 million roughly, just a shade under, in his three NFL seasons. His salary this year is going to be $2.133 million, which is more than he's made in the previous three years. So you get that number above $13 million on average, then maybe you've got something for him to think about. That may be tough for him to turn out. I don't, I don't think there's a deal, turned down I should say, I don't think there's a deal if you can't get above $13 million per year. Really, to me, the right range is probably $14, million, 14 to $15 million range. You guarantee the first two years um, at signing. Uh, that's something the Niners typically don't do is guarantee the second year. They've done it in limited instances. I would think Kittle would be one of those guys that you would do that for. So your guarantees are probably, uh, if you can give them $30 million, low 30s, and the amount's fully guaranteed at signing, the overall guarantee should probably be 
high 30s, low 40s, I would think, if you're talking a four-year extension. And I would think he couldn't, that'd be hard for him to turn down. That, that should get something done. Uh, one thing we do know, which would be in a 49ers contract, is that he's going to have these big per-game roster bonuses where for each game you're on the uh, 46-man active roster, you get X amount per game. So if you get hurt, you're out money. I never liked those as an, as an agent. But that's part of the 49ers' typical structure, and I don't think Kittle will be able to escape having that component in his contract. Uh, one thing that you probably won't see is a George Kittle holdout, and that's for one reason, that George Kittle has three accrued seasons. The accrued seasons are years of service for free agency. You need four to be unrestricted. So um, the way the rule works, it's been modified under the new CBA, is if you don't report for the first day of training camp, you don't get an accrued season. So let's say George Kittle decides to hold out until mid-August, and then he plays all 16 games this year. He still doesn't get an accrued season because he missed the mandatory reporting date for training camp. So he would have three accrued seasons. So as a restricted free agent, the 49ers could give him a a tender um, where they'd have the right to match offer sheets. And they'd probably give him what's the first-round tender where they'd get a first-round pick in return if they didn't match the offer sheet. And the way it stands right now, the first-round tender for a restricted free agent in 2021 is going to be $4.766 million. Or they could stick the franchise tag on him for basically 9-2. As good as he is, they probably would stick the franchise tag on him instead of restricted free agent tender, um, potentially, just because you would get two first-round picks in return. If they didn't and went RFA tender, then the franchise tag clock wouldn't start until 2022, but the number presumably be a lot higher than it would be in 2021 because I'd imagine that the cap will be significantly higher than $175 million in 2022. But if you see a George Kittle holdout, he is in it to win it just because of these factors that he is going to have to get a new contract to avoid this whole scenario um, I'm, subscri- I'm describing. So everybody, I think the deal will get done. Um, I anticipate uh, $14, $15 million per year range, as I said. Um, probably uh, low 30s overall guarantees um, and probably $40 million or so. Uh, fully guaranteed. Um, if you do that, I think you get a deal done, but I can't see any deal getting done uh, for under $13 million per year for George Kittle. But anyway, that's it for this week's um, um, episode of Inside the Cap. Um, as I said, you can find me um, on Twitter. Follow me, uh, Corey Joel, that's C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L, and also my column, regular uh, column for CBSSports.com, um, and Agents Take on the business aspects of the NFL. I appreciate you guys listening, um, and we'll see you back here next week. Goodbye.